0: This morning's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 4, and beginning at the first verse. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
1: I received a letter this week. It's not often that you get letters these days, is it? It was, I've got it with me, it was um, addressed to Ms. Kate Lees, which did make me think they don't really know me. I opened it up and uh, I had an invitation to Churchill Retirement Living. I I was invited to join them at their open event with Esther Ransom. Yeah, between um, 10 and 12 on Tuesday the 2nd of April. Unfortunately, I can't make it. Yeah, but um, I figured, you know, it wasn't really appropriate for me. Well, I don't know, you might have different views. (laughs) Simon thought it was hilarious. In fact, I think actually Simon might have signed me up for it. (laughs) Um, We did go through a phase where we signed each other up for things that were inappropriate, you know, like that. So maybe he did. Um, And don't get me wrong, I found it funny. But in all honesty, if I hadn't brought it here this morning, I would have simply thrown it away. Because it's not really a letter that holds a lot of relevance for me at the moment. And I certainly don't feel the desire to follow up on the invitation and and go and look round. And, you know, in a similar way, sometimes I think we can feel a bit like this when we read some of the letters in the Bible. Letters that are here for us, but were originally written for other people. Some of them we read and we can connect with them straight away, as if they were written just the other day and they were specifically for us. But most of them, having been written for an audience just under 2,000 years before we were born, seem at times to hold little relevance to our lives as if we had accidentally received them, but actually they were meant for other people. And there's a danger that because of that, we glance at them or we read through them, but then we find it so difficult to relate them to our lives in the here and now that we put them aside and fail to fully take on board what is actually being said to us today. Because in reality, most of the letters written in the New Testament were written to churches in very different situations to what we're in now. The letter of 1 Peter, for instance, that Rob read to us a few months ago, was most likely written to a number of churches. Not just one church in a particular setting, but as it says at the very start of the letter, several churches in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And it was written to churches in this area because they were facing persecution. Persecution from the authorities, persecution from their own families, Persecution from their work colleagues and also persecution from their friends. Which had come about because of the changes that had taken place in their lives since they'd become believers. And which resulted not only in abusive behaviour towards them but also the fear of death. There was a very real fear that they might be persecuted and killed. So Peter writes this, one of two letters, to encourage them. There was a temptation, you see, for these new Christians in these churches to go back to the life that they'd lived before following Jesus, or at least to dumb down the radical changes that had taken place within them. A temptation to revisit the activities of their old life, if you like, compromising their faith by living in ways that reflected their old selves more than it did their new life in Jesus, which Peter makes clear is not how they were called to live. Therefore, he says at the beginning of the passage that was read, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because those who have suffered in their bodies have finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Or if you like, those who are persecuted for Christ no longer live the lives they once inhabited. They now live differently. And you know, when we read these words at the beginning of chapter 4 that we're looking at today, there's a real danger that we read them and that we think they can't possibly relate to us. Because, you know, we may at times have faced some ridicule or some bullying or some ostracism because of our faith choices and our changed lifestyle. But in our setting, persecution for the sake of following Jesus is not often a word we would feel comfortable using using to describe these things, especially given what happens around the world. And yet it's here, written in this letter. Originally for first century church people, yes, but also for us, God's word for us today. So how can we take these things and relate them to our lives? How can we take these words, originally for those facing serious persecution and possible death, and relate them to our social setting today. I'm sure in one sense they would be easier to understand if we had truly been persecuted, as many are in the world today. But in another, what Peter talks about here are things that we can relate to. For instance, he talks about the struggle to live a life following God when friends and family and work colleagues don't understand us. He talks about the temptation to dumb down the radical life that Jesus has called us to live because people around us aren't on the same page. He talks about the temptation to entertain things we shouldn't, to collude rather than challenge. He talks about the temptation to pay little attention to our words and our actions and our thoughts. We may not physically be in fear of death at this moment because of our faith, but we can all understand the temptation to slip back into the life we left behind and the skin we felt so comfortable inhabiting. So even though we may not understand the suffering of Christ and others we have, who have suffered in their bodies, we can certainly understand that we are to have an attitude like them. One which sees sin and the life that that inhabits has finished with, done, ended, because a new life has begun. Peter tells us earlier in the letter that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So, says Peter, you are to have an attitude that reflects this. This is what Jesus has done, and your attitude should reflect it. Not one that compromises it, but one that sees this new life as far more important than the life you used to live. Because, as he says in verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. So now it's time to live differently. You know, a few weeks ago, I went to visit my nieces and nephews. They're 20 and 17 now. And we were chatting. I was chatting with Gracie. And uh, she suddenly said to me, do you know, Kate, that we spend a third of our lives asleep? I said, oh, that sounds nice, Gracie. She said, but yes, imagine. Imagine if you didn't have to sleep. And I said, oh, that's a terrible idea, isn't it? She said, imagine if you didn't feel tired. She said, hold on, let's take off the amount of years you slept from your age, Kate, and see how old you'd be if you didn't have to sleep. I'd be 30, sprightly, jumping around. And then we had this whole conversation. Well, what would you do if you didn't have to sleep? If if for a third of your life you can do other things because you didn't have to sleep, what would you do? We came up with very trivial things. Oh, we'd eat chocolate, go to the cinema, (laughs) go on holiday. You know, but that's a whole chunk of time. It was a fascinating conversation. It was very interesting to think about the things you do if you didn't have to do something else. And in effect, this is what Peter is stressing here, that these new Christians who are receiving this letter and us who are to read it after them have a new life. It may be one that's under persecution for them, but nevertheless, it is one that is done with sin, one that no longer needs to fulfill the demands of sin, if you like. It's spent enough time focusing on the things that are far from the ways of Christ. So now instead of doing that instead of spending time doing all those things that used to be vital to life on earth, that time can now be spent differently, refocusing on those activities which will help to develop and grow this wonderful gift of life that God has given. Because, as Peter says, the end of all things is near. A phrase which doesn't necessarily mean that life is about to come to a stumbling halt, as we might read it, and that Jesus will suddenly arrive again, but rather the understanding that Jesus has now become, so, begun something new. This is a new time. So be alert and of sober mind, says Peter. Or if you like, be aware of what is happening. Be aware that this is a new time. Be aware of the new ways of Christ. Be aware of how you are now called to live. And use this new time not to dip in and out of how you lived before, but instead to pray to love each other deeply, to be hospitable, to use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. Because now you live in the power of God, says Peter. These are the things you need to be spending your time on. Because these are the things that will help you. These are the things that will strengthen you. These are the things that will sustain you. Not the things you used to do, but the things of God. And you cannot radically live this new life under the pressure of the world without focusing your attention on them. You know, we like to go um, abroad for our holiday once a year. Simon's a bit in love with France. So we always have to go to France. got to the point actually this year when James said, ''Do we have to go to France again, Daddy?'' Um, so we're going to Belgium. Anyway, um, we, we always have to go to France, and because there's an hour difference normally in the summer, if you go on holiday there. And when the boys are really little, we didn't change the time, because it's easier, you know, not to have to change the bedtimes for a week or so and then change them back. So we kept English time, <gasps> which meant that normally, I think we were an hour behind, or something like that. And we thought, this would be fine. because an hour. What's an hour? But you know, it was so complicated and difficult. We'd turn up at lunchtime and everything was shut because it was actually their time to have a break and so we couldn't get anything to eat. We'd turn up and try and get tea and it was not quite the right time. We'd always have to recalculate. We'd be like oh, it's six o'clock, so really that's this time. And it became just quite complicated and difficult. It was really difficult to live in one time zone while living under the constraints of another, if you like. Because our focus was sort of all over the place. We were trying to make it work. We were continually trying to work it out. And in the same way, it's really difficult, impossible in fact, to live as followers of Christ if we're still trying to focus our attention on the things that are far from him. And this doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't do frivolous things. It doesn't mean that we don't engage in activities that are just for fun and have no real long-term meaning. Just as it doesn't mean that we spend every waking hour praying or reading the Bible or watching Christian things or something like that. But it does mean that we need to recognise what our reality is. That we're not people who are following God as a hobby alongside a lot of other things, a lot of other activities that we happen to do. But we are followers of Christ. And in that sense, we now live in his kingdom. We no longer live under the constraints of sin and failure and death, if you like, even though we will sin and we will fail and we will die, at least physically. Instead, we live in a new time under the authority and the grace of God. And so as Peter urges these new Christians in the Bible, who are in a very different culture to us, but a very similar struggle, we need to focus our attention on learning how to live in this new time. Not dipping in and out as if it were sort of optional, but actually recognizing that praying and loving and welcoming and using the gifts that God has given to us The spiritual gifts that we've been talking about since Christmas is vital if we are to live the way that God desires us to live. It's not something that some people who follow God do and some people don't. It's not that some have gifts and some are good at praying and some are hospitable and others don't really do that. It's that if we live for Christ, we all need to learn to practice his ways, to use the gifts that he has given us. Because we cannot effectively survive the struggles of life in the power of God if we don't spend time learning to live the ways of God. Or as Peter says earlier in this letter, we are foreigners and exiles in the world. We don't belong here, if you like. This isn't our real home. This is not the place where we find our comfort and our joy and our life. But it is the place that we live right now. And we are called to live here in ways that are loving and kind and welcoming. Ways that are transformational. And we can only do this if we spend our time and focus our attention on learning how to live in the power of God. And using the gifts that he has given us to do that. So as Peter concludes at the end of this passage, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.